0: The reading is from uh, Mark 9, and it's from verse 14 to 29, and the page number for the church Bible is 1012. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, But they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer.
1: Heavenly Father, thank you very much for your living words. Thank you for uh, how it is all that we need to uh, learn All that we need to know about you is here in your words. All that we need to follow you is here. And so we pray that you would help us now to listen well, to be ready to receive what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder what King Charles did last night. How do you follow that? You have a parade through the streets in the morning, crowned king at lunchtime, Another parade. You get home. Is there anything on the telly? I suppose we could watch the highlights. (laughs) Imagine he, he gets in, he pops his crown on the hook by the door and he has a little look around and he sees the palace is a dump. There is rubbish everywhere. Everyone's been so busy this week. No one's put anything away. There's corgi mess on the carpet. There's nothing in the fridge for dinner. Then William and Harry start arguing. Can you imagine it? King Charles would be thinking, wouldn't he, how did it come to this? From the sublime to the ridiculous. You've got the glory of the coronation down to this chaos. And we get something a bit similar to that in our passage today last week we had the transfiguration we saw about Jesus taking three of his disciples up the mountain where he revealed his glory to them so the curtain was pulled back just for a short while they got to see a glimpse of his heavenly splendor blindingly bright clothes more dazzling than the king yesterday in all his regalia He's got Moses and Elijah at his side. He's got God the Father speaking out loud so they could hear him say, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Must have been absolutely stunning. And then in verse 14, they come down the mountain. And it is down to earth with a bump. It is all downhill from here. They've had this mountaintop experience And now they're down in the valley of disarray, which is where most of us live, isn't it? Would you say your your life day-to-day was more like the mountaintop? you got voices from heaven, glorious lights? Or more like this valley, confusion and division and pain? Today we get to see whether Jesus can handle those low places... As well as the high, and to see what that means for us down here, so as Jesus walks downhill with his disciples, he 's confronted once again with the impossible power of evil that 's the first thing we see here is the impossible power of evil. The, the scene is just all over the place. Have a look from verse fourteen. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them so it, it's, it's a mess now there's there's a big argument going on there's crowds of people all clamoring then they see Jesus and they all run over to him oh my goodness it's Jesus it's Jesus, it's Jesus! they all crowd in on him it's sort of Beatlemania kind of thing the crowds go around everything's happening at once and Jesus is a bit like a parent here he sort of sees the the children are running riot and he says whoa 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 what is going on Somebody tell me what is going on, verse 16. What are you arguing with them about? Honestly, you turn your back for five minutes, head for a little walk up a hill, you come down to this. Then a man steps out from the crowd to explain, verse 17 and 18. Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You see a powerful evil at work, don't we? It's so powerful, it has been impossible, impossible to deal with. And the man says, look, I brought my son to see you, Jesus. I brought him to see you, and unfortunately, I only got your assistance, I got the monkeys, not the organ grinder. I thought they might be able to help, but unfortunately, no offence, they were useless. And that's what they've been arguing about. That's what's been been going on. There's been this evil too strong to be tamed. It's been about the disciples reaching the limit of what they can do. The teachers of the law, they're there. They're presumably sticking their oar in, going, see, see? I told you Jesus and his disciples were were a bunch of phonies. Told you. And then somebody else goes, no, hang on a minute, just because they can't do this doesn't mean they can't do anything. Anyway, let's see you heal the boy. And then they all get bickering and everything descends into madness. And Jesus is walking in in the middle of all of this. And it clearly winds him up, doesn't it? In verse 19 when he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He's exasperated by it. I don't think he's cross at the man in particular. I think it's the whole situation, the crowds, his disciples probably most of all. It's just so infuriating how far away they still are from properly trusting him. We'll see uh, a bit later on how they should have reacted. But for now, Jesus sort of shuts everything up and brings it back, the focus back onto this sick lad. He says, bring the boy to me. We can settle the arguments later, but right now, there's a boy in the grip of this impossible power of evil. So let's, let's sort that out, and we can sort everything else out in a minute. Now his dad's description of it, uh, it's horrendous, isn't it? The symptoms are really, really bad. The boy can't speak. In fact, it's described like a mugging. It says a, a spirit has robbed him of speech. Something's been taken from him. Later on, Jesus implies that the boy's deaf as well. And he has these fits. He falls to the ground, stiff as a board, gnashing his teeth, foaming at the mouth. It must have been a terrifying thing to see. It must have been even worse to experience. Nowadays, we might look at that and think, it, it could be rabies. I don't know, some kind of severe form of epilepsy. I don't know, but we're told it wasn't a natural illness we're told it was demonic. It, this boy is possessed by a spirit. Nowadays, in this country, we're not used to stuff like that, are we? We we see evil being a lot more subtle. Working behind the scenes, working out of sight. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The Bible is really clear that evil is real. Evil is not just an idea or a force. There is personal evil. And when Jesus comes to earth, it crawls out of the woodwork to meet him. It sort of flares up. This boy is being terrorized by an evil spirit who is intent on destroying him. And that is what evil wants to do. That's what Satan wants to do. He sees the image of God and he hates God. And so he sees people as made in the image of God and he hates that most of all. He wants to d- distort that image. He wants to destroy that image if he can. Today we talk about somebody having a seizure. Well, that's the language here. This boy is being seized in verse 18. He's being grabbed. He's being manhandled, thrown about. In verse 22, we're told how bad it's got. It says that The father says it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Can you imagine what that's like or what it's like for, for the parents? You take your child to the seaside and the demon tries to drown him. Put your child in the bath. This demon tries to drown him. You'd have to keep a hold of him on on bonfire night in case he runs headlong into the fire. He, He can't be left alone for a second because of this impossible power of evil. It's impossible to control, impossible to get rid of. Now most of us, this That's not our direct experience, is it? As I said before, evil is normally hiding below the surface. But it is there. It is out there. It is impacting us. We're living in a world infected with evil, aren't we? With death and despair and cruelty and abuse and war and hatred and sickness and fear and all those symptoms of a world gone wrong. This presence of evil, that's why life is like it is. Down here in the valley, there's evil on the loose. It can't be contained. You see that in the world at large. You see that in our individual lives. And like this man and his son, like the disciples, like the crowd, we're powerless before it. On our own, we are unable to do it, unable to tackle it. But as this uh, particular episode shows us, it isn't impossible for everybody it's impossible for us, it was impossible for the disciples, but we see the unbelievable power of Jesus. He's able to do it. No one else has been able to do anything. They've tried everything except Jesus. And as so often is the case that the presence of Jesus completely transforms things, doesn't it? He asked to see the boy, he, he, he he, he goes and says, bring the boy to me, in verse 20, and all hell breaks loose, doesn't it? It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. The dad's description of it, it was not an exaggeration, was it? It's all there on display, all of the things, just because Jesus showed up. The, the evil spirit has some kind of allergic reaction almost to Jesus. That's the power that Jesus has. So much that evil freaks out at the sight of him. Rages, froths like an ocean storm. Thankfully, we've already seen, haven't we, that Jesus can calm the storm. He's got unbelievable power. The boy's father, he's at the end of his tether, and so he begs Jesus at the end of verse 22, if you can do anything, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It's desperate, isn't it? But Jesus picks up on one word from that, doesn't he? If. If. What do you mean, if? If you can do anything, the dad isn't fully believing, is he, that Jesus can help? He's willing to ask or try anything at this stage, but he's not holding out very much hope And and in a way, who can blame him? This is a problem that's been going on for years. No one's been able to do anything. Jesus' disciples have just spectacularly failed. Why would Jesus be any different? Because Jesus is uniquely powerful. And so Jesus says, if you can, if you can, everything's possible for one who believes. Of course I can do it, he says. You just need to trust me. And so the boy's father, we told immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, "I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief." It's a brilliantly honest thing to say, isn't it a great thing to say? He's not pretending. He's not pretending that he doesn't have any doubts. He's not acting as if he's got everything clear in his mind. He's not going, "Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, I was supposed to have more faith." Yeah, of course. no, I totally believe you, as if faith is sort of working yourself up into a hype. No, he says to Jesus, I do trust you. I really do. Not as much as I should. I know that. But I do believe. That's why I'm asking you, please, help my unbelief. Help me to believe you more. And we see Jesus' power uh, bursting in. Verse 25, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. This is impossible power of evil. The the, the power that can't be tackled, can't be tamed. Jesus disarms it with a word. He just rebukes it. He tells it off. This is not the exorcist, is it? It's not waving crosses around and holy water and ancient rituals and chanting special words. It's remarkably unremarkable, isn't it? He just says something to him. He just says, I command you and the evil spirit must obey him. That is amazing power, isn't it? Yesterday at the coronation, there was a lot of... Ceremony and fanfare and gold and symbols of authority. It's really interesting seeing all the different aspects. And this represents that, this represents that. You've got the crown and the different scepters and sitting on the throne and the different thrones mean different things, and you've got the, the stone of destiny underneath the seat of Edward II or whatever it was. All these symbols of power. But this is real authority, isn't it? The ability to just say something and it's done. To just say something. And have his enemies unstoppable now cowering at his feet. Jesus is the king. He is the undoubted king, to use the words of yesterday. That is so much the point of what Mark is trying to say in this book. Jesus is the almighty king. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And this little encounter proves it again that he has unbelievable power it ought to be believable we ought to trust him by now the disciples ought to have understood by now and and so should we but we panic we doubt we fear we we, if we call on him at all we're half-hearted at best but Jesus is the king he is stronger this is what he came to do he didn't just come down that particular mountain to handle this particular mess His whole life was one of descending from glory to fight and defeat evil. He came to this earth into the confusion, into the pain, into the muck, into the darkness, with the power to sort it out. The evil that we can't cope with. The evil that brings us to the end of our tether, it is no match for him. And so, so these stories are supposed to be telling us something about him, aren't they? Telling us not just what he did then, but what he does, what he will do. Freeing us from the power of evil. We aren't possessed like this boy was. We are caught up in the same battle, though. We do suffer through evil. We do need someone to rescue us. We are often deaf towards God. We are often mute when it comes to declaring his praises as we should. Only Jesus can restore us. And so if you're a believer in Jesus here today, he has done this for you. He has set you free. He has unstopped your ears and opened your mouth and lifted you to your feet and given you a new start. Isn't that a wonderful thing that Jesus has the power to change things? Do you believe that? That's the point of the story. Do you believe that? It's not just about showing us the reality of evil, the power of Jesus. It is supposed to be challenging us on the need for faith. We need to believe him. It's not just, oh, for your information, this is what Jesus did one time. No, it's a challenge to say, do you believe it? Do you believe him? This, uh, this story is shot through, isn't it, with references to whether or not people believe. So Jesus asks what's going on. He hears what's going on. His first reaction is, verse 19, you unbelieving generation. That's your problem, all of you lot. He says, you just don't believe in me. And that's where the story ends as well, in this funny little sort of epilogue bit, in verse 28 and 29. The boy gets to his feet. That would be a nice place to end the story, wouldn't it? But it carries on. Let me read that bit. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out, sorry, can come out only by prayer. See, they're baffled. They're they're probably embarrassed, so they wait till there's no one else around and we are inside, let's have a chat about it. They cannot understand why they hadn't been able to do it. Back in chapter 3, this was part of their job. Let me read you Mark 3, verse 14 and 15. So Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So they've done it before. Why can't they do it now? And Jesus says... This kind come out only by prayer. Now, I used to think this was about different kinds of demons. I don't know it's like Pokemon or something. Some of them are stronger than other ones. If you're going to try and deal with them, some of them require special skills or techniques if you're going to handle them. You need to do some proper training in this. Some spirits, they're easy ones. This sort is a particularly difficult case. This isn't sort of primary school demonology now. This is advanced level Degree stuff. And that is how a lot of people treat this story. I don't think that's what it means. After all, wouldn't all evil spirits require prayer? I think he's just saying, You didn't pray. You didn't pray. This kind of thing needs prayer. And you didn't pray. He's revealing how deep their unbelief goes. They weren't operating out of faith, they were operating out of pride and self-sufficiency they'd underestimated the power of evil they'd overestimated their own strength and so they're going why couldn't we do it Ooh, you didn't pray how arrogant to think they could do it on their own they thought that they had that power because they'd done it before they thought that it was within them to overcome evil when only Jesus has got that power After all, if it is saying, oh no, you've got to say the magic words or it won't work. It can't be that because not least when Jesus does it, he doesn't pray. (laughs) This type only comes out with prayer and he doesn't actually pray. He does it just by speaking because he is powerful enough already and we're not. Prayer is, is not a magic spell. It's not saying the magic words. It's expressing dependence. It's about faith. Sometimes people say, oh, prayer is powerful. And I I do understand what they mean. I'm sure I've said that myself. I'm sure I will say it again. But it isn't prayer that's powerful, is it? Jesus is powerful. God is powerful. Prayer is just talking to him, asking him to act. He has that power already. We don't, and so we pray. We say to God, I can't do this. You can. Please, would you? If we think we can do it, we're not going to pray, just like the disciples didn't. There are different kinds of unbelief, aren't there? We say, oh no, unbelief, that's sort of like the, the dad going, oh, well, I don't really think you can do it. Actually, there's this other sort of unbelief, which just says, no, I'll be fine, thanks, I can do it on my own. <laughs> Prayerlessness is unbelief. We would pray more, wouldn't we, if we trusted God We would pray by ourselves. We'd we'd pray with others, find opportunities to do that, prayer meeting other times. We'd pray with friends and family before we're about to start doing something. We would pray in our heads as we go about our day. If we really actually thought, I can't do this, I need God's help. It's an expression of the faith that we need if we're going to follow Jesus. This whole section over these next few weeks is about following him. Ever since chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus has been telling us about following him. We need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And this is showing us that means we need to trust him. We've got to trust him. Anything he calls us to do as his followers is only going to be possible through dependence on him. Have we grasped that? Or are we like the disciples who think we can go it alone? We might talk about all the great Christian stuff we do, but it is me doing it. It's not recognizing, no, this is Jesus doing it. This is the Lord doing it in and through us. I've been very, very challenged by this. Studying hard, working on this sermon, it's, it's hard to sort of go, well, what confidence have I got that God is going to use this to do anything, to teach us, to grow faith in us, Do I just sort of go, well, I can do this. I've preached lots of times before. Or do we say, no, this kind of thing only works by prayer with the things that you need to do. Are you plowing on in your own strength and you think, well, I've got all the power inside me. Or are you trusting Jesus, showing that by calling on him in prayer? There is need for faith because we need him. If we don't trust him. We won't follow him. We're not going to do it because following him looks in the short term like absolute madness, doesn't it? We saw a couple of weeks ago, following Jesus looks like dying. If we don't believe that, we won't do it. If we don't believe that actually it looks like dying, but it's the way to life forever. And we see that in the story when Jesus helps the boy It doesn't look good to begin with, does it? In verse 26, the boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. They go, oh, look, he's made him worse. But dead isn't a problem for Jesus. He can raise him up again. He can lift him to his feet. We need to trust Jesus that all of the wrongs that we face are going to be put right in the end. It might not be immediately like this. But we need to believe that he's able to restore everything we might lose because we've gone his way. We really need to believe that. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, if ever there was a verse just waiting to be ripped out of context, that is the one, isn't it? Everything is possible for him who believes. Wow, I believe I can fly. I believe I'm going to be rich. I believe nothing bad is ever going to happen to me ever again. Fantastic, that's guaranteed. No, that's not what it means. That can't be what it means. Jesus just said following him means carrying your cross. It can't mean that. True faith is not telling God what to do. I believe this, now you've got to do it. True faith is believing God will do what he said he will do. It means leaning on him for the strength to do what he's called us to do. So that idea of everything's possible for the one who believes is saying following Jesus is not mission impossible. It is doable as long as we trust him. This boy's dad, he says, if, if you can do it, because he doesn't fully know, he's not sure Jesus can do it. And Jesus says, of course I can. The only if is if you're going to believe me. If you do that, then you will see. I will do everything I've said I can do. And that's where the the boy's dad is such a great example for us. He shows us, doesn't he, our faith doesn't need to be perfect. It just has to be real. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is so refreshing, isn't it? So genuine. He says, I totally trust you. Except for all the times when I don't. I depend on you, Lord, and I really struggle with it. That is real faith. Even trusting him with the ability to trust him. It isn't about how strong our faith is or the quality of our faith. It is about the object of our faith, the one we are trusting in. He is reliable. So it could be that today you're finding it very, very hard to believe, very hard to keep trusting, to keep following Jesus. There are a lot of ifs. Well, tell him that. This is the kind of prayer he loves to answer. When I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is a great prayer to pray, however big or small our faith might be, whether we would say, actually, I've been going with Jesus for a long time now, but I'm really struggling or whether we're totally new to these things, and I'm just starting to understand it, I think I get it a bit, help me to trust you more. This chaotic scene at the bottom of the mountain, it's a great picture, isn't it, of our everyday life, with faith being low, evil on the rampage, desperate human needs, religious leaders arguing, Jesus followers out of their depth, but a powerful king who still does the impossible answers prayer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the Lord Jesus is equal to every problem and that one day he will say to all evil, get out and never come back. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who has power to overcome all of the evil that is around us. And so we want to pray with that voice, Father, we do believe. Please help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.